Luke 19, starting at verse 1. So, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So, Jesus was just on his way somewhere else, and he just happened to be passing through Jericho. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, why don't you come down immediately? I, I, I got to stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house Because this man too is a son of Abraham. This man too has started to actually live into his identity, who he was meant to be. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. We will go that far. Again, such a good story. I say that every week we read a story from the Bible and I think that's funny. Um, Have you heard that story before? I bet I can guess how, Um, but we'll talk about that in a moment. First, I want to talk about um, our church before we came here in Michigan uh, had this group of women. I think I've told a story about them before, but it was a long time ago. 10 or 12 um, women who all had Down syndrome or something similar. Uh, We never got into sort of the details of of what, what they had, but they had special needs. And uh, they needed a little extra help, and so they all lived together in, in the same group home. Uh, the church they had been attending closed, so they needed another place to worship, and they all wanted to go to the same spot, and they found themselves, thank God, at our little church, and it was, it was fantastic. And I have to tell you that the moment they arrived, they totally and completely transformed the culture of our church. Like, it was weird. And all of a sudden, everything was much more relaxed, and everything, we had spontaneity happening. We, had, we were more hospitable and welcoming, and we experienced a kind of joy in that space that we'd never experienced before because, because amazing things would happen. Like I would be in the middle of a sermon and I would ask a rhetorical question. You know how I sometimes ask rhetorical questions? <laughs> you got it, yeah. They, they would answer them, like nearly every time. And or one of them would raise their hand and ask a question, and I would spend about a minute or two just having a conversation with, with one of them or more of them, or sometimes they wouldn't even raise their hand. They would just say something, blurt out, blurt out a question, and we'd spend time on it. But, um, and then it would be back to what I was doing before. But one of my favorite memories of that group of women is how they would often invite me into their Sunday school class after worship, and uh, they didn't want me in there very long. It was just a short, short amount of time. And everyone knew why they wanted me to come into their classroom. They wanted me to lead them in their favorite song. Can anyone guess what their favorite song was? 
the Zacchaeus song, right? So I would have them all stand up in the middle of this classroom so that we could sing the song together and also do the actions because you cannot sing that song without doing the actions. So I'm asking you all to stand, please. Yes, we are going to do this. I'm not kidding. Okay, and if you know the song, I would like you to sing it with me. Um, I'm going to lead you in the actions. I don't know if these are the correct actions. These are just the actions that I did when we were doing this uh, together. And uh, maybe I got them when I was four years old uh, or something. I don't know. But can we do this together? Okay. Okay. Sing it with me. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Oh, good job. Okay, you can sit. Nah, tell me we can't have fun. And, and, while we were, and while we would sing that song, they would laugh and they would giggle and they would think it was hilarious because most of them weren't very tall. They were short. And I'm 6'3", so they thought it was funny that a tall dude was helping them sing this song. Anyway. It was awesome. Now, the only reason I bring that up, other than having a little fun, is because I think that song, for many of us, has colored our perception of this man, Zacchaeus. Like, we think of him as, he's just a wee little man. And when we think of a wee little man who collects taxes, where do our imaginations go? We think of, a, like, a short, skinny dude uh, who's an accountant and who's interested in numbers Maybe he works for the IRS, uh, and he's a pretty harmless little man. He's just a wee little man. But let me tell you something. The Roman Empire did not need men like that, wee little men, collecting their taxes for them. They needed muscle. They needed someone who could intimidate. They needed someone who could collect taxes so, they, so Zacchaeus was probably more like a mob boss than a wee little accountant. He may have been short, but he was most likely stocky, thick-necked, strong, cunning, and mean. That's probably the kind of guy we're talking about when we're talking about Zacchaeus. Because let's talk for a minute about the system that was in place. So the Roman Empire would... Uh, would sort of create districts out of the people, different neighborhoods or separate the, the people into different districts or neighborhoods. And then the tax collectors would then bid on each different district. They would say to the Roman Empire, I can get this amount of money from this district. And whoever bid the highest won the district. Then the tax collectors would go out and they would collect taxes from the districts from the different places where they said. Now, 
There was, so there, they would collect the taxes and anything above what they said they would bring to Rome, they got to pocket and they got to keep for themselves. And so some of them became rich. They became wealthy doing this because they collected more than they told Rome they could collect. So there was some incentive to collect some taxes. Now, a tax collector probably knew the people in the district he was collecting taxes in, maybe even grew up there, probably knew their secrets. So a tax collector could use things like extortion, intimidation, threats, blackmail in order to collect the taxes. Are you with me now? So Zacchaeus wasn't just a wee little accountant who worked for an organization like the IRS. No, he was probably more like a mob boss, carried a thick stick who threatened violence in people's lives. Does that change your perspective on this story? Just a wee little bit? Ah. Yeah, doesn't that open things up and make things interesting? Okay, now that we've got that out of the way, let's just sort of walk through the story. And after we walk through the story, we're just going to notice some things and then we're going to talk about those things because I think sometimes that's the best way for us to, to, to do a story that we find. Just, let's just notice something and then talk about it and expand on it. So Jesus entered Jericho and Luke tells us he was just passing through. So Jesus was on his way from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south, and he's just, he wants to get to Jerusalem. That's where he's headed. Luke's already told us that earlier in his story about Jesus. So that's where he's headed, and he tell, he, this little phrase in there is interesting to me. He's just passing through Jericho. So he has no intention of staying there for any length of time whatsoever, right? He's just passing through. Then Luke tells us that there's a man there, Zacchaeus. He's a wealthy chief tax collector. He wants to see Jesus, but it just so happens that Zacchaeus isn't very tall and he can't see over the crowd. By now we know that the crowd following Jesus is a sizable crowd. It's a large crowd. He's got all kinds of different people uh, it's sort of a spectacle happening around Jesus. There, there are Jews and Samaritans. There are tax collectors and Pharisees and prostitutes and farmers and all kinds of other people who are following Jesus. So Zacchaeus runs up ahead because he can't see over the crowd and he finds a tree because he wants to see the spectacle. Jesus has a kind of reputation that is interesting to him. It's the kind of, of reputation that has begun to spread. And he's sort of maybe attracted to what he's hearing and really interested in what, what's happening. So when Jesus reaches the tree, he says, Zacchaeus. Now that's interesting too. He knows his name? That should make us go, what? He knows his name. Now, two things are sort of possible here. Either Zacchaeus is so notorious, like he's a mob boss like none other, that his reputation has sort of gotten so large that even Jesus, who's just passing through town, knows who Zacchaeus is. That's possible. The other possibility is they've met before. Huh. 
That's something Luke sort of leaves it a little bit vague and lets us speculate if we want to. So have fun with that over lunch. How does that change the way you see this story? That's interesting to me. You can talk about that later. So anyway, so then Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately for I must stay at your house. Like, I gotta stay there. So Zacchaeus climbs down out of the tree and the people in the crowd, most likely it's the religious people, people like you and me, they begin to mutter about it. They're upset about it. We know that it's probably the religious people because the only people in Luke's story about Jesus who mutter or grumble against Jesus uh, are the religious people, people who are, who are a lot like us, right? So Zacchaeus then stands up and he says something like this. Look, Jesus, here's the deal. Uh, my days as a tax collector, my days as, a, as extorting people, it's, it's all over. Now, here, in this moment, I'm going to give half of what I own to the poor, and I'm going to pay back anybody I've cheated four times the amount that I cheated them out of, which is going farther than Jewish law even said he had to do. And then Jesus says something like this, today salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. So good. The reversal in that story is fantastic. Okay, so now that we've gone through the story, let's just notice some things that are taking place here. And the first thing I want us to notice is, is the radical hospitality of Jesus. Like, it's insane. Zacchaeus has this reputation that we just sort of talked, we just sort of, we talked about the kind of guy that Zacchaeus is. Not a dude you want to mess with, not a dude you want to be friends with. In fact, he's a guy who's probably despised more than most people. Because not only is he stealing money from them, not only is he cheating them out of their livelihood, he's supposed to be on their side. He's a Jew working for the Roman Empire. So not only is he stealing from them, he's also a traitor in their eyes, living among them, empowered by their enemy to do that. And here is Jesus saying, I'm going to go to your house. Let's hang out together for a while. He's at it again. He's hanging out with the wrong people. And this is something that we've talked about before, but it's important, I think, for us to talk about this every once in a while. And this isn't the first time, if you read the stories about Jesus, this isn't the first time he's done this. No, in fact, this is Jesus's reputation. This is just who he is. This is part of his identity. He loves to cross barriers. He loves to knock down walls. He loves to welcome people in society that have been pushed aside, who've been marginalized, who've been set aside, the people who don't fit in. Look, he was just passing through. He had no intention of spending any kind of time in Jericho. He's just passing through. But when he sees Zacchaeus, there's something in Jesus's heart that says, nope, plans are changing. Now I'm going to stay for a while. I want to get to Jerusalem, but this man, 
is absolutely worth my time and energy and hospitality. So he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I got to stay at your house. I must stay at your house today. So what Jesus is doing here in this moment is he's demonstrating the very heart of God. That's what Jesus does for us. He shows us exactly what God is like. He's demonstrating the heart of God and the heart of God reflects radical hospitality, a kind of radical welcoming and embracing of the other. Isn't that fantastic? Now, I would be lying to you if I said there wasn't a part of me that wished Jesus hadn't been doing this all the time. I would be lying to you if I said there was a part of me, there wasn't a part of me like that, right? Because if he hadn't been doing this so much of his time, then it would let us off the hook. Then we wouldn't have to worry about it, right? But the fact of the matter is, Jesus does this literally every single place he goes. All the time. Will we follow Jesus there or not? Will we practice this radical hospitality or not? Because I think it has implications on what happens with this church or any other church. Fred Craddock tells a story about when he was just starting out as a pastor story about a church that he served. It was in eastern Tennessee. There was a a laboratory in town called the the Oak Ridge National Laboratory. It was expanding its its operation uh, near the church. That meant that all kinds of people would be moving into town and people would be traveling in from other counties in order to just work there. So Fred thought, what a great opportunity for us to be invitational and to invite people and say, hey, there's a place for you to come and worship and be a part of a community and meet people and give back to the community. Why don't you come and, and be a part of our church? So he encouraged his people to be in invitational, thinking that if people were willing to drive from another county to go to work, maybe they would fi- drive from another county in order to experience the kind of community that everyone sort of longs for. And almost unanimously, the response from different people as he talked to them in his congregation was, ah, there's people aren't going to fit in here. And then the next Sunday, the leadership in the church called an impromptu congregational meeting at which one of the leaders proposed a motion that if you wanted to join this church and be a member of this church, you had to own property in the county. And the motion passed almost unanimously. A few decades later, Fred is driving through eastern Tennessee because, and he wants to show his wife this one of the first churches that he had ever served because she had never seen it before. When he got to the church, the place was busier than he had ever remembered it. Now I want you to listen to what he says. The parking lot was full. Motorcycles, trucks, and cars all packed in there. And out front, a great big sign, barbecue, all you can eat. It's a restaurant now. So we went inside. The pews are all against the wall. They have electric lights now, and the organ is pushed over into the corner. 
There are all these aluminum and plastic tables and people sitting there eating barbecued pork and chicken and ribs. All kinds of people. I said to my wife, it's a good thing this is not still a church. Otherwise, these people couldn't be in here. Holy. It's a good thing this is not still a church. Otherwise, these people couldn't be in here. Ah, they just won't fit in. Does that break your heart? Because this is the place where everyone fits in. It's right there on our website. It's one of our core values. We've had it from when we began, when we were holding little meetings over there at the Ridge so many years ago. Unconditional acceptance. It's one of our core values. We said, this is who God is calling us to be. It says right there on our website, you can go look for it. It says, everyone belongs. So this is the place where our doors are wide open. This is the place where anyone can belong and everyone is welcome. This is the place where we have a hospitality team. This is the place where we have greeters, not border security or border patrol. We're not interested in that. Nope, not at all. So be invitational. Invite people. Ask them to come. Who are the people in your life who need a place to belong? Who are the people in your life who are up a tree? Do you know anybody who's up a tree? Who are the people in your life who are, who are like interested in spiritual things but don't think they'd ever be welcome in a place like this? They're welcome here. Invite them in. Ask them to come. They belong here. This is that kind of place. Are you with me? Can we be that radically hospitable? Can we actually reflect the life of Jesus as a community? Can we do that? Can we be that kind of presence here? Because if we're not, if we don't, First, I don't think we're living into following Jesus all that well. But if we don't, we might just see things dwindle here. It's a very real possibility. And then someone else will come and buy the building and put in a restaurant. Now, I'm not saying that Ames doesn't need another restaurant. Because when there's a new restaurant in town, I'm like, y'all, let's go. And we want to go. So I'm not saying that we don't need another restaurant in Ames just not here. Not on this soil. No. Not here. Can we be that radically hospitable? Can we do it? Let's notice something else. This story is about salvation. Jesus says it. He says, today salvation has come to this house. Now, let's talk about what this isn't. This isn't the personal Lord and Savior. Get into heaven for free when your time on earth is done here kind of salvation. No. It's much, 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 much bigger than that. The word salvation can also be translated as healed. It's got that idea with it and behind it, 
in there, all mushed in there, salvation, heal. It's this idea that the things are being made whole again. It's this idea that it's it's this idea that things are being put back together again. It's this idea that that things are now in a place where they can begin to flourish. People can begin to experience life the way God intended it to be. So salvation in this story is less about going to heaven one day. In fact, most of the places that you see that word in the Bible talking about salvation, it's not talking about getting to heaven one day. And we've talked about this before too. But again, it's another instance where it's just good for us to talk about this every once in a while. And so in this story, salvation is more about the reign of God, God's rule in the world. In this story, salvation is more about the kingdom of God, this thing that Jesus talks about, the kingdom of God making its presence felt right here in the middle of all of us. Salvation in this story is more about liberation, the liberating of people from things like persecution and oppression and injustice and poverty. Think about some of the details of this story. That's what's happening here. Let's think about what the radical hospitality of Jesus did for Zacchaeus. It totally changed him, totally changed him. And then his transformation saved his whole house. Today, salvation has come to this house. Not, yay, Zacchaeus, you get to go to heaven. Today, in this moment, right here, right now, salvation has come not just to you, Zacchaeus, but to your whole house. It's like his salvation just started leaking out somehow and affected his whole house. Then he's so moved by this radical hospitality that in that moment, he promises to give half of what he has to the poor, and he's very wealthy. Half of his possessions to the poor, but then he goes even beyond that. He's going to pay back anybody he cheated four times the amount he took, going further than Jewish law required of him. It's like his salvation started not just leaking out of of him onto his family, but it sort of leaked out all over everyone. The social order in this story is being flipped upside down, and all kinds of people are now benefiting, even the poor. This isn't just personal transformation salvation story of Zacchaeus. Yay. No, no, no. This is societal transformation. This is the upheaval of the way things are. This is turning the system upside down and somebody who has realizing I have to give what I have so that others in my community and in this world can flourish like God intended them to be flourishing. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house for this man He's a son of Abraham. He's finally gotten it. He's finally living into the call that has always been on the nation of Israel and the people of God. It's to be the kind of people that help the world and everybody else flourish. This man is a son of Abraham. 
Oh my goodness. How is our salvation leaking out? I just love that image. It's like oozing. You just feel it oozing out of Zacchaeus. How is it leaking out? Can we make it just leak out some more? How is your salvation leaking out? Who who is being made whole because of you? Whose life is now flourishing or beginning to flourish or on the brink of flourishing because you're in their life? What are some things you can begin speaking up about? What are some things you can actually begin doing to let that salvation leak out so that others in your life can now flourish? Let it leak, y'all. Let it leak. It's how grace works. It's given to be given. It'll just multiply itself unless we stop it up. Let it leak. So now we've got this radical hospitality of Jesus. Can we be that kind of community together? Can we actually let our salvation leak out so that the lives of others can actually flourish around us? Here's the last thing I want us to talk about. It's less of a noticing something and it's more of a, I'm going to speculate on life going forward for Zacchaeus. It's not going to be easy. Hard life, hard road ahead for Zacchaeus. Think about it. From this point on, can he continue to be a tax collector? Can he then, once he said what he said, once he's recognized what he is and what he's become and the system in which he's now, he's been participating, can he, can he now participate in that system any longer? He's actually got to change. He must do things differently and it must be on purpose. So tax collecting probably wasn't going to cut it for him anymore. No, no, he's going to have to walk in an entirely new direction and it was going to be difficult. He was going to need salvation himself every single day moving forward. Because that's the thing about salvation. It's not a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. All of us, we all need salvation every single day. If we're going to become the kind of people who are actually radically hospitable, just like Jesus, we're going to need God to do something and save us from our unwillingness to be that. We're going to need salvation every day. If our salvation is going to become so transformative in our lives that it just starts leaking out all over the place, we're going to need God to show up and do something. We need salvation now, here, in this present moment. It's something that we need to be asking for every day, all the time, because salvation is just large and expansive. We need salvation now. So to help you, I'm going to pray a prayer for all of us. And it's a prayer that I got from a guy named Pete Enns. That's a name familiar to some of you. It's a prayer he wrote while thinking about this story. So there's a connection there. So I'm just going to pray it 
And I invite you, I'm going to pray it slowly. I'm going to invite you to just pray it with me in your hearts, in your souls, in your heads. Can we do this together? And then we'll sing. Let's pray. Deliver us, O Lord. Save us. Save us from broken relationships. Save us. Save us from fear for my family. Save us from the fear of what might be or what might not be. Save us. Save us from knowing, from the need to know, from the need to be right. Save us from this horrid and subtle self-centeredness. Save us from looking down on any other human being. Save us from feeling misunderstood and undervalued. Save us from being defined by our past, from judging others by their past. Save us from manipulating our neighbors with clever words, from feeling not enough. Save us from what we cling to, from all of our failings. Save us from all of our accomplishments. Save us, not later, not at some point in time, but now, right this minute. We want change, deliverance, peace, salvation. We don't want things to continue as they are. Save us now. Do it. Amen. Let's stand together.